0: Yo, yo, what up everyone, this is your life coach, Jacob Sobel, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life. You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation, like you and me, who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose, while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with Jenny Blake. Jenny is an author, blogger, life coach, and sought after speaker who helps others wake up, live big, and love the journey. She's been featured on Forbes.com, US News and World Report, and CNN.com. You know, our entire lives we've had this roadmap to follow, and then BAM! We graduate college, and now what? Contrary to popular belief, being a young adult isn't easy. We've got to figure out so many areas of our life simultaneously. Our career, our romantic life, our social life, our living arrangements. It's almost impossible to know what options exist for our future and which ones are actually realistic. So where can we find the guidance to deal with living a purposeful and happy life in our twenties? In this interview, we're going to help you figure that stuff out. We'll also explore how can we find work that we love, how to deal with family relationships and know when to move out how to develop friendships with people who have the same values and passions as you, and cheap and easy ways to be healthy. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Well, um, of course, Jenny Blake, the famous, the, <laughs> my dear Jenny. I don't even, I'm getting choked up with words over here because uh, Jenny is beyond awesome, and she wrote a book called Life After College for those who don't know, and I'm particularly excited to interview you because, one, you have such a wealth of wisdom around what the challenges that this generation is facing and how we can deal with those effectively, and two, because you yourself are a young adult and you're in the you know, trenches with the rest of us, and you seem to have figured out how to make it work pretty effectively, so um, for all those and other reasons, I'm just excited to chat with you today, so thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I will share what I can, and for everyone who's listening, thanks for being here. Truly, it's been a one-day-at-a-time thing. Even after writing the book, I felt like, wow, I could write this thing for the rest of my life, and it still wouldn't be complete. So happy to share what I've learned to date.
2: Right on. Yeah, let's, let's start with the book. You know, as I was prepping for the interview, I was going through your book, and I just want to read the first couple sentences in the introduction. So the book starts by saying, There is no manual for the real world. In high school and college, we have teachers, guidance counselors, and course requirements. But the minute we graduate, it seems like we're immediately expected to understand where to go, what to do, and how to get wherever we're going next, even when we have no clue where next is. For the first time in many of our lives, we feel paralyzed without a defined roadmap or without any clue how to create one. This book represents the roadmap I pieced together along my own journey. So I read this, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, a roadmap? Yeah, that sounds semi-familiar, hence the name of the <laughs> conference we're putting on here. Um, so I'd love to, with that being said, I'd love to hear more about your story and introduce more of your story to young adults and the people listening. And, I mean, we've got college. We've got the startup you work for. We've got Google, Life Coaching, Yoga. I know I'm I'm doing a little bit of a a spoiler over here, but um, can you share (laughs) with us some of the, just kind of your background story and some of the challenges you faced in childhood and how that led you to be where you are doing what you're doing today?
1: Sure. I will give the quickest overview that I can uh, while still filling in the major milestones I would say my life after college journey really started my junior year of college. That's when I got the opportunity to help start a company with one of my professors. So I, I actually took a leave of absence in school, moved back home to Palo Alto, and I was the first employee at this company. That's when I realized I was a total fish out of water. I had no clue what I was doing. I was the first employee, then it grew to five college professors and me, and I just felt completely lost. My friends were still partying and taking finals, and there I was trying to figure out health insurance and my 401K and what appropriate work attire was and appropriate work hours. I was totally clueless, and that's when I started reading absolutely every self-help business and personal development book that I could get my hands on, trying to make sense of it all. I ended up going back to school to graduate with my class a year and a half later, And then six months after that, I applied to a job at Google. And after this really long four-month interview process, I got the gig, and I ended up being at Google for five and a half years. I started doing AdWords product training. Then I moved over to coaching and career development toward my last years there. But all during that time, that thread of what to do with my life, who am I, what do I want, how do I be effective with my days, and not just that, but happy, Really stuck with me. And I kept reading those books. And actually, right before I moved over to Google, I set up the website, lifeaftercollege.org. That was in 2005. And it actually sat incomplete on the Internet for two years until one day I got an email from a reader saying, Thank you so much for your blog. I love it. It's so helpful. And I even had things like, Insert link description here all over the website. So in 2007, While working at Google, I turned it into a blog, and I just thought, now or never, got to make a go of it. I either need to shut this thing down or do something. And so I felt like, you know what, I'm not an expert. I don't know all the answers, but I'm struggling through my own journey just as everyone else is. And at the very least, I can share books and resources and my own ups and downs to hopefully help others in the process. So about That blog has been running now for almost five years, and much to my surprise, delight, overwhelm, I turned it into a book and got a book deal, and it came out, the book that you just read, that great excerpt from, uh, came out in March of 2011, and I ended up quitting Google three months later. So I took a sabbatical to do a self-funded book tour, decided that, again, something just in my gut was saying it's time to make another great leap. It's really uncertain. I don't know if I'll survive as my own, you know, solopreneur, pro- sole proprietor, but I wanted to give it a shot. And for the first time in my life, I could move through the kind of terror of going out on my own. And I knew I was willing to risk every penny of my savings to do it. And so here we are today, a year later, I'm not living in a van down by the river. I'm. <laughs> Still happily running my company and doing coaching, as you mentioned, doing speaking and teaching from yoga for fun. So that's the long and the short of my story, punctuated by many periods of uncertainty, discomfort, angst, tears. I describe myself as a hot mess more than once throughout <laughs> my blog. And I wanted to say first and foremost that those experiences are normal and they're expected and they're part of our growth. So for anyone who's listening who feels like I don't have it all figured out and there's something wrong with me, it's actually the exact opposite. The fact that you're here listening and asking those questions is really, in my mind, the only thing that matters.
2: I want to talk more about the terror and the uncertainty and the frustration because <laughs> sure. I feel like that is, um, that's the thing that we all face. And one of the challenges is that we don't know what the options and the possibilities are because we just haven't been exposed to them and we don't know what's realistic either. So we could have these really big visions of having our own businesses or starting these companies or working for Google and it all kind of falls into, well, just that self-doubt in a sense and am I being realistic, am I not, what should I be doing? So what is, um, what's kind of one of the ways we can go about getting a better idea of creating our, our own big picture and what we want our life to look like and how can we deal with navigating that challenge?
1: One of my one of my biggest pet peeves is, and this is related to your question, when someone says, what do you want to be in five years? Or how, where do you see your life in five years? <laughs> Whoever knows the answer to that, even if you have some high-level goals, it's such a false idea that we're supposed to know everything and have it all planned out. So to your question, I love your question because it's asking, how can we even start? Where do we start when we feel like, our entire future is hanging under this cloud of uncertainty, and if you imagine a city like San Francisco on a super foggy day, you can't make out even one building, let alone the whole cityscape, and that's how a lot of people feel when they're at this age and at this point and throughout our lives when you're in transition. So the first piece of advice I have is is don't pin yourself down. Don't go from total uncertainty to, okay, what job do I need to apply for? That's too abrupt. So start by thinking really big. Get really creative. I love to do mind maps, and I write the word passions in the middle, and just draw spokes for everything under the sun that you enjoy and that you're passionate about. And that could be everything from creating organization templates to going to coffee shops and having dinner with friends. Everything gets a bubble, and then from there you say, well, what's important to me about that, or what do I enjoy about that? And you draw little tertiary spokes for all the aspects of whatever you wrote down. When you're done, you should have this 8 and a half by 11 piece of paper completely full. Don't lift your pen from the page. And then you can look back at that piece of paper and look for common themes. Usually people can pick out about three to five common themes that become a compass of sorts. So You can say, wow, I noticed that on, on this whole sheet of paper, creativity came up more than once, um, you know, helping other people or service, came up more than once, organization, whatever your unique strengths, talents, and interests are, will come to light and show some patterns. So starting with something really big and creative like that, or writing down everything that's ever crossed your mind, or even making a list of 20 or 30 people you admire, whether they're people in your own life or public figures, those are all exercises that can help you go broad first so that you can start to pull out common themes and then get into the tactics and the how much later on, instead of jumping to the how right from the get-go.
2: Yeah, so we can talk more about how to make shit happen later, but I Mm want to speak a little bit more about the fog right now. And I think that um, it's a particularly difficult transition in our lives when we move from being uh, adolescents to an adult, and, Part of the reason is is because we have to figure out so many different things at once. We need to figure out our career. We need to figure out our romantic life, our social life, our living arrangements. And it's tough for us to do all of that simultaneously while trying to just balance our happiness and well-being and just be a normal person, right, who enjoys life in this process. So it can feel so complex and chaotic. And I'm wondering what can we do to simplify this process and approach it in a practical way?
1: Yeah, the key word that you said there is simplify. When, when I'm going through a period of intense uncertainty or angst or discomfort or cloud, the most important thing first and foremost is to simplify and really say, what are, how can I boil my life down right now to the things that really bring me energy and give myself the space to even figure out what's next and get quiet enough to listen to my own gut? And, Jacob, you and I were talking about personal practices earlier, whether it's running or meditation or going for a walk or just having some unscheduled time every day. Figure out for you what, what those personal practices look like and cut out the stress <laughs> as much as you can. So if you're, if you're someone whose schedule is packed day to night with social engagements and work and all kinds of other things, this might really be a period where you give yourself permission to quiet down a little bit.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of one of the first things that I learned from Brian or one of the kind of core threads that he would really instill in his teachings, which were that, all great people have consistency on their fundamentals and that we need to figure out what are the fundamental things that we know when we do these things every day that we show up at our best and then make it like a non-negotiable commitment to rock those things. So as you're speaking about getting that structure in place and, and figuring those things out, that's kind of the, the coach in me couldn't help, but like, yeah, yeah, we're going to get that out. So um, right, right. I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to throw it out there. And then, to move on a little bit, I think that when we when we speak about work, that it's, it's so work is one of the things that falls into that fog oftentimes, and we get thrown into a job or we do what we think we should do, but really we don't know what we want to do in life so much, and we especially for work, right? And we we do know that our job should be awesome, and emotionally rich, and financially rewarding. But we don't know what, and we don't know what a career like we know a career is supposed to be more than just a job, but we live in a culture that bombards us with promises of instant gratification, and we don't want to do grunt work um, mm-hmm. so I, I want to talk about the level of commitment and diligence involved in creating an extraordinary life, a life that one like you live and I want to emphasize that there's a lot to that process, and it's not so – it can be easily glorified and can seem really glamorous, but at the core of it, there's like a ton of hard fucking work. So uh, to come to come back a little bit more full circle, I want to start with the question. How can young adults – how can we go about finding work that we love? And then this is a really cool thing that I want to make sure we emphasize is What what should we expect to be prepared for in order to actually create these ideal circumstances of our work life?
1: Mm -hmm. This is such an important question. One of my big talks that I give is about how career is not a linear thing anymore. We all have this, or many of us have the notion of a career ladder where you're supposed to go in some linear way, just like we've gone through high school and college, and you go step by step by step until you reach the finish line. Well, career isn't like that anymore. It's not like that because of what's been going on with the economy over the last few years and because of the rise of the Internet and the fact that any one of us can start a venture with our laptops from home. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I tell people to think of their career like a smartphone. Your education and your upbringing is your out-of-the-box phone, and then it's up to you to download apps for all the different skills, experiences, classes, side hustles that you might want to engage in. When you can think of your career in that really diverse, customizable, nonlinear way, it starts to take the pressure off of the one-day job as being the only star in the sky and having to provide a full 100% fulfillment. I think that you're right. Of course, we should all have work where we feel engaged and passionate and well-compensated. And there is a something still to be said for getting experience even if it isn't 100% perfect. So for all those grads who are waiting for the perfect job, maybe it is better to take something and get experience for a few years and build up. And that's not to say that you have to do that to the exclusion of starting a passion project on the side. And in fact, having a day job to pay the bills and pay the rent can be a great way to facilitate a passion project in a low-key way where you're not putting so much pressure to monetize it overnight, which can often create kind of an unhealthy undercurrent to that project if it's done that way just for the money. So for me personally, I worked full-time for seven and a half years before before I did what I'm doing now, which is working for myself and I'm still in my pajamas and all that good stuff. <laughs> but I, I did pay some amount of dues, and there are plenty of people on the Internet who worked for 25, 30, or 40 years. So they would look at me and laugh and pat me on the head and say, oh, isn't that cute? You know, you only worked for... Seven years. So know that it doesn't, I I think a lot of times we fall into if-then thinking or either-or. I can either have a full-time job or work for myself. I can either make money or do something I'm passionate about. And I want to encourage those of you who are listening to say, how can I have both? And nothing is permanent. So I have a friend who did, she searched for a job for eight months finally got it. She's about a month in, and she calls me on the phone and says, Jenny, I don't know if I like this. I don't think this is for me. And it's up to her how long she wants to stay there now that she knows that information. But it's okay. You know, she searched for eight months. She's trying this job. Maybe she'll stay a year, maybe less, maybe more. But the point is that you won't really know until you try. And every pebble on the path will lead you to the next thing and will open new doors. So just do something. It's that one of my favorite quotes, action is the antidote to despair. You've got to just start somewhere.
2: Action is the antidote to despair. you got to start somewhere. And you even managed to rhyme that. That was awesome.
1: Oh. So, <laughs> yes, I did even do that on
2: purpose. <laughs> so I, I want to – kind of unpack a little bit more about your work ethic because it's just something that I have a little bit of an allergy to this idea of instant gratification, and I think it really shackles us a bit to where we're at when we aren't able to think, like what do I want my life to look like in 50 years, right, like long-term vision and, and just showing up every day with those baby steps with that diligence and the patience and the persistence to move forward. So I want I kind of just want to expose people a little bit more to what your work ethic is like. And I don't have the perfect question to be like, so, Jenny, tell me about all the hard work you do. But I, 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 I would like to just speak about kind of how much effort it takes to, to go into something like you, like. Creating an extraordinary life or creating a a career that's really fulfilling and and the amount of work that's involved in that. And then also balancing that with our quality of life and understanding that it's just as much about the process as it is about the destination. And, And how do we find that balance between even when you create a life you love, like I know that I fall into this. I have a hunch that you've fallen into this at some point where like I'm like, yeah, I do what I love. And I just want to, like, I'm a hustler. I just want to hustle and work and work and work and work. And it's counterproductive because you, someone will have to come and grab me by the back of the neck, metaphorically, and get me away from my computer screen. And, it, and it, it's always kind of what I find is when that happens that real life inspires me to do better work, like having real life experiences. So I said a lot there, but the key things are, one, more about kind of what your work ethic is like and kind of how that shapes your Google landing your Google gig, writing your book, all seemingly awesome things that people will be like, yeah, she's so lucky, but what did it actually take to make that happen? And then how did you, in the midst of that really kind of hustler work ethic, how do you balance that with um, your quality of life?
1: Sure, absolutely. The, my work ethic and my work approach has really shifted and changed over time. The When I was first working at Google, I mean – Yeah, I work really hard, just like you. I enjoy work. When it's work that I love, I feel engaged. I feel productive. I feel accomplished. I get a lot of joy from it. So for me, it's never been about minimizing work. And I know that wasn't your suggestion, but I think sometimes people think of things that way. How can I do the least work for the most money? For me, it's Mm -hmm. how can I constantly tweak and adjust to make sure I'm doing work I love and not go overboard? Just like you said, it's been easy for me in the past to Go work toward the point of burnout. And that did happen while I was working on my book. There was a period of time where I was at Google and I really wasn't in a role that was a fit for me anymore as the team and my job had shifted. And I was miserable. And I didn't work on my book for about six months. I didn't even open the Word file. I felt overall just a sense of really dread and anxiety every day. And I was still working during that time, but having to really look at what I was doing. Um, then I moved into a role on the career development team, and I loved my work at Google, and I got back on the book wagon and was working on a book. The issue then became I was working around the clock. So, yeah, these things don't happen by magic. <laughs> Money doesn't grow on trees, and books don't just get written in our sleep. So I was working full-time during the day and during the week, and then on the weekends, I was spending the entire weekend in my apartment writing and editing my book, and I pretty much had no social life for at least six months, if not significantly impacted for about a year and a half. And leading up to that, the the problem became that I didn't really build in any time for recovery. So when my book was coming out, it was three weeks before the launch, and I just fell apart. I lost any sense of motivation or energy to do anything. And this was I was on mile 25 of the marathon, and this is when I needed that energy more than ever, and I didn't have a single thing to give. So that's when I realized that this wasn't going to work anymore and I couldn't do it all for the rest of my life. I, I really, that's what kind of kicked me in the butt to set up some sustainable work life practices. And so when I was on my sabbatical and when I finally made the decision not to go back to Google, it was in large part so that I could monitor how much I was working and make sure that what I was giving my attention was getting my full attention but not at the expense of my own health and sanity. So in the last year, I would say, work ethic-wise, I've actually swung pretty far the other direction. Now I make yoga and and running and reading in the morning my priority, and I squeeze the work in around it. And I feel like I've, I've earned that, and I can do that for as long as it's working for me. And there are some days that I work a lot, a lot of hours and there are some days I don't work any at all. So I think that the benefit of putting in some hard work up front is that it can buy you some freedom later on when you can take those skills and experiences that you may have learned either through a company or your own company and create something that really fits you and that isn't about what society's expectations are about how we should work, but really your own and how you work most effectively.
2: Yeah, what society's expectations are of how you should work. And I realize I'm repeating, like, the last sentence that you said after all your kind of answers, right? So, but they're, they're resonating with me. So I love that what we're doing here in part also is just showing people that another lifestyle is possible. And we were born into a structure and a system of a very traditional kind of work day and unless you were some billionaire or, you know, somebody who had this really kind of uh, remarkable, unconventional life that just wasn't the norm. But in today's day, it, it is with laptops and the Internet and more solopreneurs and people having their own businesses and startups, that, that is more of an option. And it is possible to, once you put that work in, to figure out how to make it work so that your quality of life is really high. And I want to transition the conversation into money a bit. But before we go into money, I want to ask you a question, which I think is going to seem pretty obvious, but I don't want the obvious answer. And the, the, the question is, why do you work? And I think a lot of people work for money, right? So, But I'm curious perhaps if there's something more to that for you. So why do you work? What a, what a great question.
1: I work, the purpose behind my work is to really, truly serve and inspire others and to do that in a way that is authentic and real and as helpful as I can possibly be, whether that's coaching, speaking, or writing on the book or the blog. My mission and why I work is to help other people feel left alone, to feel human even amidst their struggles, to then on top of that, give them hopefully some practical tips and pointers where... They can just get down to action and feel organized and feel like they have their head clear to tackle what really matters to them. And doing that work really fulfills me. So the selfish part of why I work is the sense of fulfillment that I get from helping people and being able to support myself but truly in service of the broader and the broadest possible audience that I can.
2: Yeah, it's so cool to think of work as something beyond just a means to make money and that what I love is the idea that conscious capitalism introduced me to, which is that you don't – like you define the purpose of your business, right, just like you define the purpose of your life. And money is almost like red blood cells in business where you need red blood cells to survive. You need a good amount of red blood cells to be thriving – healthy, functioning in your body to survive. But red blood cells are not the purpose of your life. Like, you define what the purpose of your life is. You choose what you want your life to be about. So when we look at business and we look at the context of the businesses that we either create or work in, money is not the purpose of these businesses where, at least in the philosophy of conscious capitalism... Um, we choose what we want our businesses to be a vehicle for, and then that's for our purpose. So we choose what we want the purpose of our business to be. And then we can use business as a vehicle for some type of social change or something we believe in or something we give a shit about. And to me, that's so awesome. And I think for young adults, it's really cool to be aware of that so that they can also, if they don't start companies, because most people won't, but they could find companies that – they can work for that have a really big um, kind of focus beyond just making money, but, hey, we're here to do a a specific cause. And when they look for jobs, they could find or at least attempt to find jobs that are in alignment with what they believe.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that will grow and evolve over time, too. So there's no – I think sometimes people feel pressure. And someone said to me once, oh, you're so lucky that you figured it out so early. And it's like we all, it comes to us at different times. And I truly believe that whatever your unique combination of skills and experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they will combine in some perfect way or some imperfect way when they're ready to. So it's that sense of like exactly as you said also, enjoying the journey and enjoying the evolution and really not putting so much pressure on ourselves to know what it it needs to look like overnight.
2: Yep. Yep. Awesome. Cool. So let's transition a little bit into money, which of course is the topic of everybody's interest. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like we live in this culture that really judges our self-worth, not based on how nice we are or how loving we are or how happy we are, but it judges our worth really traditionally on how much money we make. And it can unconsciously make a lot of us strive to, make the big bucks to prove our worth and keep up with the trends even if we become miserable in the process of doing it, which is totally just screwed, right? So then we're mm-hmm, like right. then we're like, screw this. Money is evil and I just you know, it made me it made me miserable and I just want to go meditate forever. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work out too well. So I wanna kind of ask a kind of fundamental question of what role do you view money as having in your life? And then how can young adults, how can we effectively manage our finances a little bit better?
1: Yeah, I, this is a really interesting one because money is one of those areas of our life. If we look at a wheel of life, friends, family, health, dating and relationships, money is the one, is the currency of the world we live in. And you can go without a relationship, of intimate relationship for five years. But can you go with money without money for five years? Probably <laughs> not. So it places this really interesting importance on it. And at the same time, as you said, really money is a means to an end. And that's my view. Money is a means to an end. And we all require a different ideal amount to live. So for me, part of what I recommend to people is understand what what is your ideal life setup look like? Beyond all those Martha Beck has this principle of our social self and our essential self. And the social self is who we make up to please
0: friends, family,
1: teachers, parents, employers, society. And our essential self is who we are at our core. This applies to career and especially to money. If you strip away all the social self conventions of what you think you should have or you should be doing, what does it require? What does it cost to live the life that you are interested in? And from there whether that's, it might be a really nice dinner out with friends at least once a week or once a month, that's a nice-to-have. Your must-haves are where you want to, you know, your rent and your bills. And so if you can start to just parse out what the basics look like, your must-have expenses and your nice-to-haves, then you can get a sense for what you're working toward. And I believe that money, although stressful, can be one of the most interesting creative challenges that we face. So instead of saying, I'm broke and I have no money, (laughs) figure out how much you need and want to live every month and ask it as a question. How can I earn $1,500 this month? And make a list of 50 ways. I once assigned this to a coaching client, and she wrote on the list just to fill it to 50, pole dancing. Ha, ha, just kidding. I would (laughs) never do this. But the point was to get creative. So if we can step back from the fear and the emotions that we often attach and often kind of the baggage of how we learned or experienced money growing up, then you can really start to look at it as a creative challenge and maybe even have some fun with it.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. And I think it's such a valuable, uh, almost a necessity, if we're going to create our ideal lives. We need to figure out what that end is, right? So the end, with money is means to an end, and that end is – perhaps our idea of life, and then re-approaching money from that angle. And when you speak about money, you spoke about rent and bills. And when we speak about rent and bills, it makes me think of our, our home and our living conditions. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we face as young adults is figuring out when and where to move. So let's start with when. How can young adults get a good feel for when it's time to move out?
1: This is going to depend. It's going to be different for everyone. A lot of many, many, many young adults are moving back home with their parents now after school. And I don't place any judgment on that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I've moved back in with my mom for periods at a time. And if you have that as an option, then, then that's a luxury and that's awesome. And if you are going to move home or, or live at home, get clear with your parents or your parent about how long you're going to be there, how you're going to chip in, if at all, to the costs. do they want you to pay rent, pay for groceries, what chores are you going to do, and any other boundaries that you might want to set up. And be part of it is there's this huge benefit that you can actually get to know your parents or parents as a friend. And coming home after college, you're now an adult. So... Be kind to them. Get to know them. Ask them questions you might not have asked them before. Really make the most of your time at home. And do set a goal for when you want to move out and, and be on your own. So Living at home is a great way to save money. I recommend saving at least 50% or what the equivalent rent and living expenses would be for you in, that, in your area. And set a goal. So if it's a year from now, then save like a mad person <laughs> during the time you your home and and know that moving out when you're ready will be such a rewarding experience, even if you're a little strapped for cash at the start.
2: Okay, cool. So then, what are some of the challenges that we can expect to face when we do decide to move out? Because I know personally, and I'm sure you've experienced it also. Well, on one hand, it's incredibly rewarding, and on the other hand, there's bills, there's roommates, there's right. rent, there's lack right. of immediate emotional support. Like I moved out, and I like thank God, like I can remember the first. Weekend that I was had moved out of my mom's house, and I'm like, Mom, you know what? You hold on to the cats for a little while. You know, <laughs> like they know they know your place. So I'm gonna be here, and like it was Friday night, but you know, you would have imagined that I would have thrown this big bachelor party for like this brand new awesome pad that I had. And I call my mom, and I'm like, Mom, can I come get them? And I just went and got my cats. Okay. Right, I was so low, I was so lonely oh. at this point that I had moved out. So yeah. I think that they're like that emotional. Um, detachment from this what really safe, mean? secure environment that we have can be kind of unexpected. I don't, I don't really, I wasn't really prepared for that. So, anyway, what are what are some of the, cha- the yeah, what are some of the challenges that you think um, that young adults will will face? that like we spoke about some, and kind of how can we deal with those?
1: Well, the emotional piece is huge, as you said. For some people, it's their first time really learning to be alone. College is very social, and it's very easy to make friends. And after college, it's just not as easy. And actually, thanks to the internet, a lot of people meet now through social media and blogging and Twitter, but not everyone is on social media. And it can feel really isolating, especially if you work at a small company or one that doesn't have a lot of people your age. It may feel frustrating that you need to go out to bars. Or if you're not a bar person, where are you supposed to meet people? And in that case, I suggest things like volunteering, intramural sports, taking classes, looking for meetups in your area, going to yoga. Do things that you enjoy. You don't have to go to bars, and you just got to put yourself out there and take some risks. So that's on the friend side. On the money side, ignorance is not bliss. I think one of the big <laughs> smack you in the face things that happens after college is we feel like, ah, I'm broke, I don't have a lot of money, and we just decide to ignore our credit card bills rather than face the facts of what we're spending. And so you probably can't. You probably are going to have to make some adjustments when you're living on your own and, and doing your own thing. And sometimes people take the ignorance and bliss approach for 10 years before they actually sit down and look at them and look at it really honestly. So I would say don't put that off. Sit down and, again, really understand what are your must-have expenses, what are your nice-to-have things that you're going to spend money on consistently, and what's left over. And that leftover number, that's your allowance. Even if it's only, if it's $300 for the month, cool. That's your discretionary spending, and don't go over it.
2: Yeah, awesome. Right on. And for the listeners, I want to just let you guys know that what, what I'm doing as I'm going through these questions is, I'm really referencing the different chapters in Jenny's book and asking questions based on them. So if you're finding the different topics interesting, you definitely want to check out Life After College. And the different chapters, you know, they go from work to money to home and organization, friends and family, dating, health, fun, growth, um, and all these, you know, different different really relevant parts of leaving college, being a young adult, and so if you're digging this, you'll definitely dig that, and with that said, the the next chapter, next idea I want to go into is a little bit about family and friends, and I think family can be in a particularly difficult challenge because we've known, like you said, we've known our parents our whole life as a child, and then for people who move back in, all of a sudden, it's more of a peer, it could be more of a peer kind of relationship where, hey, we're both adults now, like, um, don't tell me not to bite my nails or, like, you right, know, whatever, right. whatever it is, right? So um, I think one of the big challenges is that how do we maintain or what ideas do you have for maintaining a good relationship with our family while at the same time doing things which they don't necessarily approve of or find realistic?
1: Yeah, there are so many people struggle with this, myself included, when I was getting ready to leave Google, not all members of my family were 100% on board. And that was really hard for me because mm. I was used to just – to. I just wanted everyone's support. And I wrote this blog post called, You Can't Make Everybody Happy. You can't always make everybody happy, so stop trying and start living. And mm. that's a particularly hard lesson that we have to learn at some point, which is that we may be used to people pleasing and especially family pleasing. And there comes a point where if your gut is saying something different than your family member, you've got to listen to it. And you just need to communicate in an open, honest, and direct way and detach just a little bit from meeting everyone's 100% approval. The reason this happens a lot of times is that our family, you know, your parents have been their whole mission is to protect and provide for you and keep you safe. So if you're thinking of taking some big, crazy risk, of course they're going to say, what are you thinking? That's not a great idea. And so know that the people we love and the people who are closest to us are often the ones who are going to be the most skeptical and probably the hardest to convince at times. And that's okay. And sometimes you may need to take action anyway and let your family see that, hey, look, you survived. You're okay. You're doing just fine. And, be, and they may come around once this new thing is underway, even if they weren't in full support beforehand. But that doesn't make it any easier. It's still a really tough thing to go through and know that you've just got to build up your reserves of support and your, um, Pamela Slim calls it your High Council of Jedi Knights, people in your life who <laughs> really understand and get it and are going to cheer you on and provide support for whatever that specific thing is that you're wanting to do.
2: So build and, up, uh, go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, my question was, so build up your reserve of support elsewhere inside the family. So what is that? That's like friends and coaches or teachers or yeah. uh, coworkers?
1: Absolutely. All those that you mentioned and even people from afar, like bloggers and authors, people that you can read their advice. And on the subject of friends, while we're at this point in the discussion, <laughs> one of the hardest things can be letting is is letting go of toxic people in our lives. Just because they've been around for a long time doesn't mean that we need to put up with feeling like shit every time we talk to them. And that can be a hard thing to come to terms with, especially after college. So, to just have some awareness around that. And in general, I think, you know, one major thing that I've learned is compassion and understanding. The very things that I've judged my friends for are things that later came to bite me in the ass or that I myself (laughs) ended up struggling with later on. So there's some element of having compassion here and boundaries where if something really isn't healthy for you, whether it's a friend or family member, to know that it's okay to move on.
2: Yeah, that's really, that was actually my next question. That's a really difficult challenge because you love people. Like you grew up with people or you've had these incredible childhood years and years of just the most ridiculous experiences with them that can never be recreated. And there's still, for me, I find there's still a special bond with friends that I've had from when I was in high school, doing all types of mischievous things, cutting class, smoking weed, <laughs> doing graffiti—like all these things—that I'm um, just have nobody to possibly share those types of experiences with anymore. But we've evolved in such different paths that our values aren't in alignment. And I, I like—I'd like to see them still occasionally, you know, every couple months. But it doesn't feel like that really happens, and perhaps. You know, I could make a better effort at making that happen, but it is a very sensitive subject to figure out. Like, what do you, what do we do about people who we love and friends? Uh, you know, in particular with this question, who are who are going in a different direction? And then the second part to that would be like, okay, well, who who do we? How do we figure out where we're going to spend our time? How do we meet people and uh, who and develop strong connections with people who are more in alignment with where we're at and where we want to go?
1: Yeah, well, first, I love your your stories of high school. That sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> I can totally, I'm not surprised that you were a troublemaker in high school. Um, yeah, I think what you said is really important, too, that you may not be cutting these people out forever and ever. It doesn't always have to be so black and white, but you can start to understand, oh, they are from a certain time in my life, and and then look for those people who really... Feed you energy. And as for how to find them, it's really trial and error. It's going to be different for every person. And if you have one friend in your life who meets that criteria, that's an awesome start. And so, again, just like the job search and getting your finances under control, building a strong community of friends probably isn't going to happen overnight, but it will happen over time. And if you just keep doing things that you love and it does require leaving the house, usually, unless you are meeting people online, then it will happen. And um, it does take some amount of being proactive. I've actually found that making same-sex friends is a lot harder than making friends of the opposite sex because usually people have their circle already and they're people that they hang out with. So, you know, know that you'll have to be a little bit proactive, but, um by doing things you love. And for me, I just started CrossFit. It's a great community of people. And my roommate Julie just started too, and she's made all kinds of friends just from going for two months. So things like that can really help.
2: Yep. Yeah. So speaking of family and friends, and the next part that would come into play there would be relationships. And I remember when I first came across your work, it was right before your book launch party in New York. So I don't know if that was a year ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I watched your talk, your Google talk, and I I have a really low information diet. So I usually don't watch things on the Internet or read blogs. I'm, I'm more inclined to go towards books. But I started watching your talk, and it was about a 40-minute talk, and I actually watched the entire thing. And I'm like, this, there's something special to this girl. If I'm watching the entire talk, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something there. And then I realized that you were having a book launch party the next week in New York, so signed up to come to that. Um, but in the talk, I remember you, you were speaking about you, the, write, the process of writing the book, and you spoke about the dating and relationships chapter, and you're like, shit, I need to write a chapter on dating and relationships. <laughs> so I know that you've had, as we all have, um, your own journey in this, uh, in this Field of dating and relationships, and I'm curious, kind of, what some of the biggest lessons you've learned when it comes to dating and relationships, and particularly in the context of young adults and how they, how, some of the challenges they need to navigate in um, finding a relationship that works for them.
1: But this is, even now, this question, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going But first, I can't believe you watched the whole video either. Major props, and I'm so glad that you ended up coming to the book launch party, and what a fun story. Yeah. I am, what have I learned? I mean, everyone is in such a different place, and that's part of why I found this chapter very hard. People are single People have recently broken up with someone. People are in a relationship. They're in a long-distance relationship. They may be engaged. They may be married. And you may be divorced. So of all of those things, what can we really come to? And I've been recently reading some books by John Wellwood. He is an incredible author. And some of his books are um, Perfect Love, Imperfect Relationships, Journey of the Heart, and one about conscious love. And he basically, in short, of all these, says that relationships are the most direct path to spiritual growth. They will call up all of your shit. They will call up all of your demons, and they will ask you to face them, and they will ask you to grow. And so whether you are single or in a relationship or coming out of one, it is a very rich time, and it's a very rich area of our lives. And by rich, I don't just mean sunshine and rainbows <laughs> and unicorns. I mean the fiery pits of hell, too, that come with it. And so in this area, actually, the biggest lessons that I've learned come down to, again, compassion, having compassion for self, having uh, the willingness to take risks, the willingness to fall flat on your face, the willingness to feel like shit and get up again the next day and leave the house the next day, and the willingness to really open up and live from that, place of open-heartedness and, and joy, and then also appreciating relationships and other people for what they can bring. And for me, um, I, there was a period of about four years that I didn't have a serious relationship. No surprise that it was while working full-time and, and writing the book. So I found it very frustrating. And just as some people might feel frustrated by a fruitless job search, I felt very frustrated by what I felt was like a fruitless dating life. And it wasn't until I gave myself permission to feel that way and to have my own path and trust that everything would work out and that, you know, things happen as they should, when I could come back to that relaxed place and focus on my own feelings of joy and aliveness, lo and behold, I did need someone. (laughs) So that's the cliche that always used to piss me off when people would say it, but there is some truth to it.
2: Yeah, awesome. Love it, love it. So we will happily move on to the next subject now, <laughs> and and, I, and it's health. And I think that so much of being a young adult, or so much rather just being an adult overall is um, – Taking responsibility for yourself, and I think the core of taking responsibility for yourself is taking responsibility of your health. I think without good health, you just, you can't function, uh, you can't do anything in life, and you definitely can't do it as well as you could if you had good health. So, but within that kind of, okay, really pretty philosophy that I just painted there, Mm -hmm. it's not always easy to take care of yourself. I mean, it's time and resources, and being healthy isn't always cheap or easy, so what are some of the practices that you can recommend for young adults? And I, I know this is a really broad question, so forgive me, but just overall ideas when it comes to health about kind of making, being able to make that work and live a health-conscious lifestyle in, with the restraints of sometimes the finances not being completely in check or um, time being of the essence.
1: Sure. I'm so glad you brought up time and money because it doesn't require a lot of time or money to be healthy, even though we feel sometimes like it does. And you're right. Everything suffers if we're not taking care of our health. Start by getting enough sleep <laughs> and then understand, like, what's. it's really about that balance of making time and putting in the effort. And so the things that have helped me the most are having accountability, partnering up with a friend and doing little challenges, having mini goals I want to walk for at least 15 minutes a day, or I want to do yoga at least three times a week, whatever your own goals are, and then some kind of tracking system, some way that you can reward yourself or celebrate your progress and celebrate what you're doing, and eventually you'll feel amazing, and that will be the celebration, but it's just experimenting. It's giving yourself permission to start really small, and, and it's not, again, not having that perfectionist mentality that it's all or nothing. Sometimes people feel like, well, if I can't work out at the gym for an hour, I won't go at all, when instead, maybe lacing up your running shoes, going, I do, I try and do a 20-minute run five days a week. It does not always happen, but the nice thing about it is I put my shoes on, I run out the house for 10 minutes, and then I turn around and come back. It's easy mm-hmm. enough. So finding things like that. And then when it comes to healthy eating, I mean, there are endless books on this subject, but um for me, I found that food is really my fuel, and to generally keep things healthy, I tend to eat gluten-free and minimize sugar and minimize alcohol. Those are the things that I found work for me, and minimizing dairy, too. But again, not every day is perfect, so it's I'm always adjusting and learning.
2: Yeah, what about the cupcakes?
1: I know. I haven't had a cupcake in months. I'm long oh. overdue. <laughs>
2: Long awesome ado. yeah for everyone who doesn't know the reference as soon as you open up Jenny's book the first thing you'll read is it says keep calm and have a cupcake <laughs> so awesome soft well i'm beyond honored to uh get to kick it with you for an hour and just be ourselves and do that in service to something larger than ourselves and to me that is success and you want to talk about what is success it's the ability to kind of be yourself do what you love and get better at that while serving something in the process and 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 enjoying it and I think this chat is a great representation of that that's possible to do so um, big appreciation before we wrap it up I'm curious if there's anything else you want to throw out there I know we kind of spoke on a bunch of different subjects and Um, but I'm I'm also really interested because you wrote this book, Life After College, and because you work with young adults amongst other people, and I'm just curious if there's any kind of things that you felt like we missed um, that we're facing as a generation or as a culture and that we should just be aware of. Um, I know technology is something, I'm just throwing this out there off the top, but I know technology is something that is such a, crazy, intricate part of our life, and there's not really any academic, well, there may be some academic research on it, but there's not really any widely publicized um, kind of conclusions to be put into place about how to, how to actually deal with technology. Um, so for okay. me, that's a particular field of interest along with what the future looks like and what are some of the challenges and opportunities that we're going to face in the future because it's coming at us faster than we can even possibly see. And, like, five years from now, our world is going to be so different. I mean, five years ago, the iPhone didn't exist. And it's rewiring, right. our, it's yeah. rewiring our brain. Literally, like, our brains are – the neuroplasticity of our brains are being rewired by how many times do you check your iPhone in a minute. Wow. Like, you know, it's yeah. just nuts how we, how we wow. are becoming one with this technology So I'm saying a bunch there, but basically, if there's anything else you want to throw out, would love for it, and if not, no pressure at all, and love you either way.
1: I, I do want to say there's so much negativity that comes through our media, and this isn't the time or place to talk about that, but now is also such an empowering time, especially for our generation, exactly because we grew up with all this new technology and the Internet and blogs and social media. So this is the first time that we've been able to carve out our own space in the world, independent of a company, to allow ourselves, our own freedom of expression, to be ourselves, just as you said, and to really create our own home if we want to, if we so choose. Not everyone wants to be public-facing, and that's fine. But even in your own small way, whether it's posting photos on Instagram or sharing your thoughts on a blog, or sharing some aspect of yourself with the world, that can be such a fulfilling thing. Whether it's generating income or not, we have such a beautiful opportunity to experiment and get to know ourselves and share our thoughts with the world and create this home and make friends. I have made countless friends. Jacob, you included top among them through blogging. And that was such an unintended benefit that I just never even expected I'd say unexpected is the better word for it, where I thought I, I never even expected it would lead to a book, but more than that, such rich relationships in my life. And so for anyone listening, you know, whatever the challenges that you're facing, I would encourage you to think about what what brings me alive, what brings me joy, and how can I share my gifts with the world.
2: Beautifully said, absolutely love it, and I have such a big smile on my face right now. And I haven't mentioned it till this point, but I've been getting chills in my body throughout your different answers and where the conversation has gone. So um, you are one of my favorite people in the blogosphere, if not the world. So thank you so much for being here with us, Jenny, and, uh, and I know people got a ton out of this conversation, and where can, how can people keep in contact with you, and what's the best way for them to check out some of your stuff?
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much. right back at you. And for anyone who wants to keep in touch, please do. I would love to hear from you. My blog is lifeaftercollege.org. Um, Twitter, I'm Jenny underscore Blake. And if you are interested, I run a Make Shit Happen course about going after your biggest goals and dreams.
0: And uh, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. Let's take a look at some of my favorite big ideas from this interview. Big idea number one, you don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to know where you want to be five years from now, but with all this uncertainty, where do we start? Jenny suggests not to pin yourself down. You can create a mind map and start by writing the word passion in the middle. Write down everything that interests you which you could find enjoyable and fill up the whole piece of paper. When you're done, look for common themes. You can also write down a list of 20 to 30 people you admire, whether they're in your personal life or in the public eye. Then write down why you admire them and see what common themes emerge. These are going to be things that ultimately are really important to you. Big idea number two, a career isn't a linear line the way it used to be. So back in the day, you pretty much picked one path and stuck with it. But the world just doesn't work like that anymore. Due to rapid changes in the world and the current state of the job market, the infinite possibilities that the internet gives us, we've got to think of our career in new ways. Take some of the pressure off of yourself as having to have one and only path in life. Maybe you can start a side hustle growing your passion business. You're not going to know what you like until you try. Remember action is the antidote to despair big idea number three is, what does your ideal lifestyle look like? If you strip away all the social conventions of what you think you should have or should be doing, what does it really require for you to live the life you're interested in? Think about what it would be nice to have, like dinners out with friends, and then think about what your must-haves are, like the ability to pay rent. Start to figure out what your expenses are based on what's a must and what would be nice and then you can give yourself a sense of what you're working towards. Instead of looking at money as a problem, what if you looked at it through the lens of a creative or spiritual challenge? Instead of saying you're broke and have no money, think about how much you would need and want to have each month and ask it as a question. How can I earn three grand this month? Then make a list of 50 random ways. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast and I'm excited to deepen our relationship to get to know each other better over time and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here. And we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of the 12 things happy people do differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple? And it is. Thankyoujacob.com. And uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.